Hey guys, welcome to a special edition episode of Another World Audiobooks. Sorry for the bit of a fan noise back there. It is just really hot today, and uh, I just got done a long day of recording uh, with the fan off. And now I'm like, okay, I think you guys could handle the intro with the fan on. Um, anyway, this is a very special episode. We're doing another indie author spotlight. Uh, and this time, it's uh, somebody that I also met on Twitter. It's just a great place to meet people. Uh, it's at JC Breen. So JC uh, was gracious enough to allow me to read the first several chapters of her book, which is called Flight from Fernalee. So this is a young adult uh, fantasy fiction type of thing. I, I, I really enjoyed reading it. I know you guys enjoy listening to it. So if you want to check her out, that's on Twitter is at JC Breen, and that's B-R-E-A-N, and then is jcbreen.blogspot.com, and all the notes are in the description down below as always so go ahead and give this a listen we're gonna be doing three episodes of this really hope you guys enjoy it like i said i, I love doing these indie author spotlights because it's a way for me to get their work out into the world and uh, really help them spread the message because i know just as a content creator myself how difficult that can be sometimes so without further ado i give you flight from fernalee flight from fernalee chapter one emerging from hillside primary school the boy took a huge gulp of sweet spring air his body poised like a cheetah ready to pounce. His feet had barely touched the tarmac before he lurched into a record-breaking sprint, legs stretching effortlessly toward his home. "'Wait for me!' his younger brother Joe yelled in frustration at being left standing yet again. "'Miles! Miles!' No use. Miles was disappearing into the distance. "'I'll tell Mum!' cried Joe, but the threat went unheeded. "'If he'd only stopped whining, he'd run an awful lot faster!' Miles thought, and after flipping over a dry stone wall, he hurtled across Farmer Barber's hayfield, relishing the lashing of feathered grasses against his legs and the sharp wind that brought redness to his cheeks. Had he not been so excited about seeing his favorite uncle, he'd have run around the field a few times for the sheer exhilaration of it. Uncle Jeff wasn't really his uncle, yet he'd always treated the Hardwin family as his own, rarely visiting without a gift for each of them, unusual, intriguing objects from his many travels abroad. He'd take the boys on long explorations of the rugged peak moorland, teaching them about animals and plants, how to light fires, build shelters, and generally survive in hostile conditions. There'd be thrilling accounts of adventures in mysterious lands, and even Miles' sister, Alice, was secretly fascinated by his tales, although she'd rather die than admit it. Truth be told, she was rather embarrassed by Uncle Jeff, what with his nerdy specs, baggy corduroys, and alarming hair which twirled upwards like an overwhipped ice cream cone. No matter how entertaining he could be, to 15-year-old Alice, Uncle Jeff was terminally sad. However, he did have one other saving grace. He was an absolute wizard with computers, tablets, and all things digital, so he came in pretty handy at times. Hope he's got a new game for me, mused Miles as he opened the back door, his grin widening at seeing Uncle Jeff sipping tea at the kitchen table. Joe arrived ten minutes later and threw his school bag on the kitchen floor, breathless and frustrated at being left behind again. It's not fair, he yelled. Miles wouldn't wait for me, and he went through the field where he's not supposed. But no one was listening. As usual, they were far too busy listening to Miles, hearing how wonderful he was. Everybody thought Miles was wonderful, no matter what he did. Hi, Joe. Uncle Jeff waved breezily at him, the only person in the room to notice he existed. In answer, Joe smiled weakly before turning to glare at Miles. Over dinner, Miles and Alice fired questions at their visitor, who replied with good humor, yet Miles sensed that all was not quite right with Uncle Jeff. It was just a flying visit, Jeff said. There was tiredness in his eyes, and he seemed distracted, somehow elsewhere. Then, when Richard Hardwin arrived, the atmosphere changed, 
as if a cold blast was blowing through the home. So, what's the panic? Said Dad, not even waiting to remove his coat. Uncle Jeff frowned and jerked his head towards the children. Later, he replied. What do you suppose he wants to talk about? Mused Miles after the dishes had been washed. The adults had withdrawn to the front room, leaving the children to do their homework, something they never did when Uncle Jeff was there. Am I psychic? Alice replied with her usual sarcasm. And even if I knew, I wouldn't tell you. Don't be so nosy, Miles. She stuck in her earphones and the conversation was over. But curiosity would not be deterred. After Alice locked herself in the bathroom and Joe was snoring softly, Miles crept downstairs and pressed his ear against the sitting room door. He couldn't hear very well, just the odd snatched sentence when somebody raised their voice. I'm telling you, said Jeff, his tone harsh and urgent. There's no time to lose. You've got to get away from here before it's too late. There was a short silence. Then Miles caught the odd word as both his parents accused Jeff of exaggerating and overreacting to the situation. Quite what the situation was, Miles hadn't a clue. All he knew was that something very serious was about to happen, putting his family in some sort of danger. Come on, Jeff, said Miles's father, trying to lighten the mood. This is us, remember? Jennifer and Richard Hodwin, a part-time social worker and a science teacher. The whole idea is completely absurd. His wife chuckled, picking up on this self-mockery. Yes, we're on the PTA, for goodness sake. Who on earth cares about two middle-aged nobodies like us? Elimus, replied Jeff quietly. There was a long silence, and the name hung heavily in the air. He's back. Eventually, Richard Hodwin replied in the quiet, rational way he used when others were talking nonsense. For crying out loud, Jeff, you've got to let the past lie. You don't believe me, do you? Jeff exclaimed. You don't realize the danger you're in. Oh, really? Jennifer Hodwin decided to end the unwelcome conversation. I'm not listening to any more of this. In fact, it might be better if you went. Right on cue, Richard Hodwin opened the sitting room door for Jeff to exit, forcing Miles to hide behind his father's overcoat hanging on a peg in the hallway. Jeff sighed and made his way out through the front door. Miles couldn't let his favorite uncle disappear without saying goodbye. As soon as his father returned to the dining room, the boy crept outside. Uncle Jeff, wait! Jeff turned to see Miles racing up the road behind him in his fleecy blue pajamas. Despite the drama of the situation, Uncle Jeff laughed, and for one brief moment seemed to be his jolly old self again. So, it was you behind the overcoats. I thought I recognized those Sasquatch feet. Miles was in no mood for banter. Who's Elemis? gasped Miles. Uncle Jeff didn't answer straight away. Instead, he perched on the next-door neighbor's garden wall and gestured for Miles to join him. Okay, how much did you hear? he asked. Miles' face flushed with embarrassment. I didn't mean to listen, he began. Of course you did, you nosy little tyke. I used to be ten myself once. I'm thirteen, cried Miles indignantly. And you still haven't answered my question. Who's Elemis, and why didn't Mum want you to say his name? That, Miles, is something I hope you'll never need to know. Huh, so what's the big deal, then? Miles could be quite bullshy himself when he had a mind. What's all the mystery all of a sudden, and what's the point of warning us of something that we'll never need to know? I didn't say that, Miles. This was not the reassuring answer Miles was hoping for. There was a pause as Uncle Jeff sighed heavily again, choosing his next words carefully.
Do you remember all those things I taught you? How to light fires, build a shelter, which berries you can eat? Well, yes, some of them, said Miles. But what's that got to do with... Good, said his uncle. You'd better get back inside before your parents miss you. You will be coming back, won't you? said Miles, with a sudden sense of panic. Yes, I hope so, Uncle Jeff replied, and he tossed his rucksack over his shoulder. So you're around, kid. Oh, thanks, Uncle Jeff, thanks a bunch, cried Miles. You come here from who knows where without a by-your-leave, scare us half to death with who knows what, and then it's, see you, kid, blow you. Thanks, thanks a bunch. Jeff grabbed Miles firmly by the shoulders and looked him squarely in the eye. Look, Miles, I didn't come here to frighten you, he began gently. The world's a dangerous place just now, full of nasty people who only want to bully ordinary folk like us. But you're a clever lad. You'll be all right. Look out for your brother and sister. Try and stick together, and don't let anyone make you do anything you feel is wrong. Promise? Miles nodded miserably, and for a few moments, Jeff continued to stare at him, wondering whether to explain any further. Eventually... He reached into his inside jacket pocket and pulled out a faded old photograph. Take a look at this, Miles. The image was difficult to see at first. Miles squinted under the orange glow of a nearby streetlight at what looked like a dragon with three horns. Its tongue was a fiery flame, its head thrust forward, fangs bared, ready to attack. Miles began to shiver, as though a hundred cubes of ice had been poured down his spine. What is it? He asked. This. His babble, the symbol of the Global Order Brotherhood. Its aim, to control mankind. Its methods, fear, corruption, and lies. Take a good look, Miles. By now, Miles' skin was crawling. The image seemed to be drawing him, holding his gaze. He fancied he saw the dragon's eyes glint, and he started backwards with a gasp. Jeff smiled grimly. Yes, it has that effect on most people. It's horrible, said Miles. I wish I hadn't seen it. Promise me something. Jeff's hands gripped the boy's shoulders again, and his voice became harsh and urgent. If you ever see this symbol, the three-horned dragon, run. Run for your life. Run, 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 and never look back. Promise me. Miles could feel the hairs rising on the back of his head. Stop it, Uncle Jeff. You're scaring me. But the man's hands tightened on the boy's shoulders again, making Miles squirm with pain. It is scary, Miles. That's why you have to run from it. Promise me. All right, I promise, yelled Miles. Only then did Jeff release his shoulders with a satisfied nod. Good lad. You're brave and canny, and if you do as I say, everything's going to be fine. Just remember the things I've taught you, eh? With that, he turned to leave. Don't go, Miles pleaded. But Jeff was already slipping into the shadows. I'll be looking out for you, he called. Just when you least expect it, I'll be there. Once Jeff had disappeared, Miles became aware that he'd virtually stopped breathing and he inhaled deeply, trying to blot out the dreadful image and hoping against all his instincts that Uncle Jeff was wrong.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Chapter 2 Although feeling uneasy for a couple of days, it wasn't long before Miles forgot about the three-horned dragon and his conversation with Uncle Jeff. At thirteen years old, he had enough to worry about, such as getting onto the school soccer team, staying the right side of Alice, whose gaze could wither at fifty paces, and trying to keep his cool with Joe. Not an easy task. That kid was always mithering. Please, let me play, he'd beg. But invariably, Miles brushed off Joe's pleas with the usual... You're too small, as he'd set off to practice dribbling with his pals, leaving Joe to amuse himself. True, Joe was small for his age, and looked much younger than his eleven years, but he wasn't entirely alone. When dejected, he could turn to Mr. Big. Now, a lot of children have imaginary friends, but Mr. Big was different. To Joe, Mr. Big was a real person, someone kind, who would never shout at him, or turn him away, or say, I told you so. It was a friendship that his parents tried hard to discourage, especially his dad. As a scientist, Richard Hodwin was opposed to fairy tales, magic, superheroes of all kinds, assorted legends, and anything that couldn't be measured by a 12-inch ruler, including Mr. Big. Believe in yourself was the Hodwin mantra, and that would be the end of it, until the next time Joe started whispering to himself. The boy needs a psychiatrist, Mr. Hodwin grumbled. Jennifer Hodwin was more tactful. Just who is this Mr. Big, Joe? I don't know his name. I call him Mr. Big because he's very big and very strong and he looks after me. How do you mean he looks after you? Well, sometimes, when I don't know what to do about something, I ask Mr. Big and then he gives me the answer. And sometimes he does things to make everything all right. For pity's sake, yelled Mr. Hodwin. He should have grown out of this by now. He's ten years old. Mrs. Hodwin sighed. Look, Joe, she sighed. Once and for all, there's no such person as Mr. Big. There is! There is! yelled Joe. So, where is he? His father demanded, turning his head to search for the mysterious Mr. Big. Where is he, Joe? Come on, point him out to us. If he's your friend, we'd like to be introduced. But Joe pursed his lips and folded his arms stubbornly. He doesn't exist, does he? said Dad. Does yes! This was one argument his parents were never going to win. Then why can't we see him? Dad cried, his fists clenched with frustration. Because he's invisible, came the answer. Now let's try and be rational about this, his mum suggested. Your father and I love you very, very much, and there's nothing we won't do to make you happy. Whenever you have any problems, you can talk to us, okay? Joe nodded. His mum gave him a kiss, and his dad ruffled his white blonde hair affectionately. Yet, that night, and every night before he went to sleep, Joe would talk to Mr. Big. Chapter 3 A year passed, 
then another, and everything carried on as normal for the Hodwin family until one fateful Saturday. Get up, Miles! It was Alice banging on his bedroom door. Mum needs help with the shopping! It wasn't like Miles to lie in bed, but he hadn't slept terribly well the night before, owing to a dull ache in his stomach. Groaning, he pulled the covers over his head and cursed his rotten luck. Couldn't be on a school day, oh no, he thought. Like when there's a geography test or anything, has to be on a Saturday when it's football practice. And he swore never again to eat more than three mince pies at a sitting, at least not on a Friday. At the thought of food, he vaguely considered getting up for breakfast and was trying to decide between scrambled eggs and cornflakes when he heard another bang. All right, I'm coming, he yelled crossly. But then he realized it wasn't Alice this time, but someone at the front door, hammering so loudly the house actually shook. They'll break the door down in a few minutes, Miles murmured to himself. From downstairs, he heard his mother's angry voice. Who on earth can that be? It's probably those Jehovah's Witnesses, Mr. Hodwin said as he made towards the door. They must have changed their methods. But he stopped short as a huge crack, then a mighty thump resounded from the hall, and the front door burst open. Pandemonium. Miles heard Joe and Alice shrieking, Mum and Dad protesting, and the sound of harsh male voices yelling, Shut up! Shut up! Shut up! Over and over again. Now fully awake, Miles leapt out of bed, pulled on his jeans and t-shirt from the day before, and flew down the stairs to see one man standing in the now empty doorway, barking orders while two other men in black trench coats manhandled his mother. Dad was being held face downwards on the floor by two other burly men, his hands manacled behind his back. Shut up! Richard and Jennifer Hodwin, you're under arrest, the first man said. What for? cried Mrs. Hodwin. Shut up! Shut up! Shut up! came the reply, but Jennifer Hodwin was not easily intimidated. Our MP will hear about this, she began. The first man laughed unpleasantly. He can't help you. We arrested him this morning. Shut up! Shut up! his colleague continued. Not me, you idiot! The boss snapped and whacked the offender across the face. Sorry, Mr. Mordaunt, got a bit carried away there. As I was saying, continued Mordaunt, there's been a coup. You're under a new regime now. He laughed nastily and began toying with a large signet ring. Mum, dead! It was Joe crying, Alice holding him tightly, her face white with shock. Miles was standing on the bottom stair, frozen to the spot, his eyes fixed on Mordaunt's finger. He felt his spine tingle, just as it had under the street lamp when Uncle Jeff showed it to him. The dragon, he gasped. Up until then, the intruder had ignored the children, but now Mordaunt, his gloating temporarily interrupted, jerked his head towards them. Get the kids, he snarled. They're going to the Babel retreat. Sister Prism will take care of them. This brought Richard Hodwin to his senses. With superhuman effort, he raised his head from under the heavy black boots that nailed him to the floor, and yelled to the children with all his might, Run! And then Miles remembered Jeff's warning. When you see it, run. Run for your lives. Run. Run! Then his mother joined in, shouting at the top of her voice, Run, children! Run! Run! cried Miles, and flew from the stair, and dashed towards the kitchen in the back door, Alice and Joe chasing after him, dodging the clutches of the sinister men. Skinner! Brown! Griswold! After them! 
Hearts pounding, legs popping, lungs bursting, the children fled, out the back door, across the yard, and into the field behind where the local rugby team was practicing. If we can just make it to the woods, thought Miles, his mind racing as he dodged the rugby players, intent on reaching the other side of the pitch. Fortunately, their pursuers were not so nimble, and found themselves the objects of some rather fine tackles. After freeing themselves from the unseemly scrum that followed, the men resumed their chase, but Alice, Miles, and Joe, now far in the distance, had disappeared over a hedge, and were now heading full pelt into the woodland. Then something awful happened. Joe let go of Alice's hand, and he stopped running. He didn't know what was happening. He didn't know why Miles and Alice were running, or who the big men were. All he knew was, he wanted to rescue his parents. He wasn't scared of the horrible men. He was going back home. In her panic, Alice didn't notice at first. She and Miles kept running, not daring to look behind them, jumping over ditches, scrambling under barbed wire, panting until they felt their lungs begin to burst. At last, they reached the trees and flung themselves into a mass of dense undergrowth until they could catch their breath. Only then did they realize that Joe was no longer with them. Where's Joe? cried Alice, looking around frantically. We've lost Joe! They must have got him, said Miles between gasps. Alice tried to stand up. Joe! she cried, and would have gone on calling had Miles not put a hand over her mouth and dragged her down again into the bushes. There's nothing we can do, he reasoned. There's too many of them. But Alice wasn't listening. Tears welled in her eyes, and she started shaking with terror. Joe! Joe! she whimpered. Miles grabbed her by the shoulders and shook her. Look, we know where they'll take him, that Mordaunt man said. So we'll wait until those men have gone, and then we'll find him and get him out. Please, Alice, we have to stay calm. It's our only chance. We're going to find him, Alice, and Mum and Dad too. Everything's going to be all right. It's going to be all right. In the distance, they heard the men shouting to each other as they raced in pursuit. Which way did they go? They were yelling. Spread out, one of them said and Miles and Alice could only freeze at the sound of shrubs being kicked and the twigs being broken underfoot. At one point, a man came within yards of their hiding place and was just about to find them when one of his colleagues called out, There's a ditch to your left! Look down there! With a man out of earshot, Miles and Alice began crawling on their elbows, commando-style, through the prickly bushes to get deeper into the wood. Before long, they came upon a fallen, hollow tree trunk, which had just enough room for the two of them to curl up inside. Miles pulled a branch up behind them so as to conceal the entrance, and, from their hiding place, the children squashed together, hardly able to move. Before long, an enormous pair of feet could be heard approaching the old tree trunk. "'Stay here, Skinner,' was the command. "'I'll station myself in the north end of the wood. Brown will guard the west side, and the others can flush them out.' "'Okay, Griswold,' said his companion. Once his superior was out of sight, Skinner sat down on the trunk. He was easily the biggest of the men with an unbelievably wide bottom, and as soon as he made contact with the fallen tree, it creaked ominously. All Miles and Alice could do was pray their hiding place would hold up under the strain. Moments later, and to their great relief, they heard another shout. Oi, Skinner, get off your fat behind and start searching. The boss ain't moving till we catch those brats. Skinner leapt up, but in doing so, the weight of his bottom dislodged the tree which jolted into motion and began to roll downhill. Slowly at first, then gathering speed, flattening everything in its path as the hill dropped perilously toward the river that gushed through the gully below. Miles and Alice held their breath, unable to scream, helpless and stiff with terror. Being so tightly packed into the trunk helped brace their bodies against much of the impact, but it was still the most terrifying white-knuckle ride they'd ever experienced. 
This isn't doing my stomach any good at all. Miles thought to himself as the hollow log continued to roll faster and faster downhill, stopping only when eventually it hit the river with a tremendous splash. Instead of being spun head over heels, the children now felt themselves being thrust from side to side as the current swept them along. Miles could hear Alice hyperventilating and instinctively reached out a hand. It's all right now, he said. At least they were safe from the men who, convinced their prey was still hiding in the wood, found sticks to probe the foliage inch by inch. Sometime later, Griswold had another bright idea. Set fire to the place, he yelled. We'll smoke the beggars out. But by this time, Miles and Alice were speeding down the river. Alright, hope you guys enjoyed this first episode of Flight from Fernley. Like I said, we're doing three episodes of this, so make sure to tune in uh, tomorrow and the day after for the rest of this sample. This is just a sample. The whole idea here is for you to go and check out JC's work. She's uh, been an author for a long time, has been doing this for a long time. So go and show her some support. That's what the indie author and the uh, content creator community is all about, is being able to support each other online, because it's a tough road to hoe, but we do it because we love it. So go ahead and support JC. Like I said, all the links are down in the description below. And with that, I'll talk to you guys tomorrow. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Don't worry. You aren't the only one. You aren't the only business that needs help. You aren't the only person that has a hard time finding the right help at the right price. This is where Business Bloodline becomes your bloodline to temporary and permanent staffing. Business Bloodline specializes in hiring internet workers to creatively solve problems for your business. Business Bloodline does all the vetting and only delivers candidates that make sense for your needs and at a cost that you can afford. But 60 seconds isn't enough for me to tell you why hiring through Business Bloodline is safer, cheaper, and less time consuming. We would rather show you. To get more information or a business consultation, visit businessbloodline.com. If the job can be done on a computer, Business Bloodline can find a match. Visit businessbloodline.com and tell them that you heard about it on Another World Audiobooks to get 10% off your first hire. Remember to mention that you heard about it on Another World Audiobooks to get that 10% off. Businessbloodline.com